goodness at the children's. All right, we'll be in 2 Timothy today. Petty ain't pretty is what we're talking about with a title like that. Good chance the word of God's going to hurt our feelings this morning. Certainly hurt mine as I was preparing this all week long. We'll see where it goes. We just finished a uh, eight-week series in the Psalms, um, and Dusty will be preaching next week. He hasn't preached for us in too long of a time. He's bringing us a word next week, and then we'll be starting another series the week after that. So this week is is just a standalone message. Petty ain't pretty, and uh, we'll be there in just a second. Now, when I say petty ain't pretty, this ain't what I mean. Uh, it may that may be a true statement. But I'm not talking about this guy. I'm talking about this. Not her. I'm talking about that look. The kids these days call it side eye. And while side eye is easy, and having a petty spirit and a petty heart and saying petty words is easy, Paul teaches us in the words we're digging in today that they are very, very dangerous. It's a very dangerous heart to have. So we're looking at that this morning. So uh, how many of you have heard of ChatGPT? Anybody heard of ChatGPT? Okay, so it's like, it's one of the AI things that are out there, artificial intelligence. Like it's a computer that's eventually going to be smarter than humans. It's like we've never watched Terminator. I, I don't understand why we're making this technology. It's like we want to not exist. I don't get it. But you can put stuff into chat, chat GPT, and it basically has like all the words that have ever been put into print in its database, and it can think artificially, and it can give you answers to questions based off of already created documents by humans. Um, and so if you put it into chat GPT, chat GPT um, what are the answer? give me the answer to examples of being petty. This is what chat GPT says. Some examples of people being petty include holding a grudge over a small slight or insult, seeking revenge for a minor wrongdoing, refusing to forgive or forget a minor transgression, going out of one's way to make someone else's life difficult or uncomfortable over a minor issue, being excessively critical or nitpicky over insignificant things, being unwilling to compromise or let go of a minor disagreement, being overly focused on winning or being right in a minor conflict, even at the expense of the relationship or the situation at hand. And then it gives its own opinion. This isn't an example. This is, this is the artificial intelligence own opinion about being petty. Blew me away. It's important to note that being petty can have negative side effects on one's relationships and overall well-being. It's always better to let go of small issues and focus on more important things in life. And I was like, great, the computer's already smarter than us. It's already happening. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about petty ain't pretty today. That, the part of petty that I really want to focus on today is being excessively critical or nitpicky over insignificant things. Critical, mean, jealous words, and their inevitable outcomes. 
when that's what we choose to do. So we're looking at 2 Timothy, starting in verse 14. Hopefully you're in the word. If you're not, it's on the screen. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Father, I come to you today and ask that you would speak to me and through me, Father, that as we dig into your word, that you'd change our hearts. And that by changing our hearts, Lord, you'd change our motivations. By changing our motivations and our mind, you would change our words, Lord, and that we would learn to use our words wisely and carefully, and that we would use them to edify each other and build each other up and to make us stronger and cap more capable of of carrying out the work that you have created in eternity past for us to for us to complete now in this time for such a time as this we pray it all in Jesus name amen so first uh, and second Timothy and Titus are the three books that that have become labeled the pastor epistles um, and while that is a good description of them it's it kind of discredits the totality of the letters but it, these letters were written they're different than the other letters that Paul wrote because Paul wrote these letters to individuals. So two of them he wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, uh, and one he wrote in, to, in Titus. If you follow Paul through the Acts and, and his missionary journeys as he goes to different churches, uh, lay, uh, into those journeys he picks up these other guys, he plants churches, and then he leaves them in, other, in these places to, to be pastors of the churches that have begun. Timothy uh, doesn't start at Ephesus, but he finishes at Ephesus. He becomes the pastor of Ephesus, which would have been a pretty good-sized church. Not like we think of church, but a good amount of people that were meeting together on a regular basis. People that he was to be an elder of, an overseer of, a pastor of, the words that Paul uses. Um, and, and so that's kind of the context of this letter and, and those three letters in general. It's, it's Paul talking to an individual about how to pastor and to pastor well and what a, what a growing, healthy group of people, an assembly of the Lord, a church should look like, and uh, man, there's just a lot of wisdom in it. So Paul starts off right here where we're picking it up in 2 Timothy, and he says, remind them of these things. Paul to Timothy, he's telling Timothy to remind the church at Ephesus. We need reminding. That's the first thing I think of when I read those words every time. We need reminding of these things. The church at Ephesus did and the church right here today needs to be reminded of these things. How do I know that? It's really simple. Because the church at Ephesus was made up of people. And this church, the last time I checked, none of you are aliens or artificial robots. You're all human beings. And as human beings, as people who make up the church, people struggle with sin. 
and we need reminded of these things. As a pastor, there are three things that I need to constantly keep in the forefront of my mind, which is so hard, and I need to consistently remind you, remind the church of these things. The truth of Scripture, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I have to consistently, we have to consistently be reminded of the good news so that we do not revert to legalism and other things. Consistently need to put the nature of God in front of you. The second thing, the nature of God, who God is, why he's worth being worshipped, not just because he's Santa Claus, because he's not Santa Claus. He is God. We need to know the nature of God. We just spent eight weeks doing that. That's what's so beautiful about the Psalms. You can't spend five seconds in the Psalms and not be inundated with the nature of God, that he is holy and we are not. And the third thing is the call, calling us to holy living, which is probably the least fun thing to do from this spot and the least fun thing to do from that spot is to hear that we are called to holy living. We are to be set apart for the good works that God has prepared for us to do in service to him. We are called to holy living. Now it would be easy for me to just stand up here and talk about things that make us feel good, but that's not what the calling is of this position. The calling is those three things and to do that consistently and consistently and consistently regardless of how we feel about it. We have to consistently do those things because we're just prone to wander. We are prone to wander away from the most important things. Now Timothy in this context is specifically dealing with false teachers in and around and amongst his flock. People that are teaching a selfish message for the advancement of the teacher instead of the advancement of the gospel, of the church, of the kingdom of God. And at the same time, these also apply in general as a warning to us all of the dangers of being like these false teachers and these false followers. It's an, it's an exhortation. It's a strong encouragement to remember and to do the good things in this section that we're looking at and in the previous section that where we just skipped over and just came from. So Paul has just told Timothy in the previous section, keep your attention on Jesus Christ as risen from the dead and as a descendant of David. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. And if we endure with him, we will also reign with him. He is faithful to us through it all. That's the summarization of what we've just what we would have just read if we read the verses before where we were. So he's so right here when he says remind them of these things, he's saying remind them of these things, th those good things I just said, and what I'm about to say, and this warning, this solemn warning that I'm about to give them of the dangers that are ahead. Solemnly charge them in the presence of God. Testify to them. That word, solemnly charge. Testify to them. Sol solemnly charge to them. Witness to them. You could say, or we might say today, preach with passion and conviction to them these things. Preach what? Remind what, preacher? Not to wrangle about words. That's what he says. Remind them of these things. Solemnly charge them in the presence of God. The next thing coming after that, I would not expect to be something that seems so trivial, to wrangle about words. It's funny to me. You would think it would be something way more serious than that. Like don't, you know, do X, Y, Z. Don't commit this horrible act. Don't have this horrible, you know, addiction in your life or whatever the thing may be. But he doesn't say that. He says, tell them not to wrangle about words. 
Logomaheo is the word there, to wrangle about empty and trifling matters. You could put it in modern day language and say, don't fight about stupid stuff. That's what he's telling us. Remind them not to fight about stupid stuff. Don't trifle with the trivial. Don't be petty, you could say. They wouldn't say it like that then because petty didn't mean that then. But petty now means that in our common language. Don't be petty. Why? Because petty ain't pretty. That's why in our Bible study last Wednesday we were looking at the word for, for good things. And that same word for good things, doing good works, doing good things, is the same word for beautiful. And it hit me. I've never thought about it before. We do that to toddlers. When they do things that aren't good, that aren't nice, we say, don't be ugly. Because that's what it looks like when we do things like that. It's ugly. But good things are beautiful. When we say God is beautiful, we're not talking about him being handsome. It's not romantic. He's beautiful because he's good. And things that are good are beautiful. So why is this such a big deal? Why does he solemnly charge them, remind them not to wrangle about words? He says, because it's useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Now, then it makes sense. When you put that phrase all together, it's like, don't say stuff or fight about stuff that isn't dumb. It's like, I'm not sure that's as serious as you're trying to make it out to be, Paul. Well, it's useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Fighting, quarreling, trifling over the trivial is useless. It's of no use. It is not profitable. It does no good. And not only does no good, but it does do harm. It's not neutral. It doesn't do good, and it does do harm. It leads to the ruin of the hearers. Who hears, it says the hearers, who hears arguing, quarreling over trivial stuff? Who are the hearers of that? Well, the person listening to the arguing, right? But who also hears it? The person doing the arguing. The person doing the trifling and the person hearing the trifling are both part of the hearers. It's not good for either party in the situation. They are both hearers. It leads to harm and destruction to them all, to them both, to both of them. Hear the Greek word for ruin or destruction. Let's see if we've got any scholars in the house today. All right, put your scholarly hat on or your dunce hat, whichever may be appropriate. And let's see if you can spot this word, if you can tell what this word is when you see it. Now, we spelled a little differently, but I bet you can tell what it is. The word for ruin in the Greek is that word right there. What is that word? Catastrophe. Catastrophe. Now, the emphasis is on the end of the word in the Greek, but we say catastrophe. Catastrophe is how you say it in the Greek. Almost the exact same. Ruin. Destruction. Have you ever thought about your trifling words being a catastrophe for the church, for the gathering of the Lord's people? This word's only used twice in the New Testament. The other time that it's used in the New Testament, man, I did not like reading this, but I'm going to share it. The other time this is used in the Greek New Testament is in 2 Peter 2.6. Here's what he's describing. Here's what he says. And if he reduced, he being Jesus, God, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to ruin, making them an example to those who are going to be ungodly. I'm going to let that sink in. Have you ever thought of your pettiness as on par 
with Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah is an easy target for us. It's like, don't be that. I don't, I'm not sure. At least we're not that. I mean, I'm not sure we're real holy and we're doing things really well, but at least we ain't Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, God uses the same word to describe the two things. The ruin that trifling over trivial matters causes and the ruin that God brought on the city of Sodom and Gomorrah for what they're doing. Same word. The godless cities of Sodom and Gomorrah where sexual immorality was as rampant as it could possibly be. Rape, incest, all types of godless, prideful activity was not only condoned, it was celebrated. That's what we're talking about. God puts this on par with. God brought it to catastrophe, to ruin, and wrangling over trivial matters that are not important, being, being flippant and petty with our words and our action, brings about the same destruction that God brought on Sodom and Gomorrah. So the next time you think, well, it's just not that big a deal. It's a big deal to God. And if it's a big deal to God, it ought to be a big deal to us. Trifling over the trivial causes catastrophe. For those of us that aren't sure what that word means, that's a great and often sudden calamity, a complete failure, a fiasco. That's the definition of a catastrophe. Our pettiness can turn the church into a fiasco. I don't want the church to be a fiasco. I want it to be an orderly place of love and worship and encouragement and goodness and beautiful things. I don't want it to be a sudden calamity. So what we're getting at is this. Put it in print so you can hear it. You've heard me say it. Don't trifle with the trivial because petty ain't pretty. It's ugly. It's ugly. And I say it with the same connotation and the same disdain that you tell a toddler that when they're acting like a two-year-old that what they're doing is ugly. Paul says, repeat these basic essentials over and over and over and over to God's people. Warn them before God about pious nitpicking, which chips away at the faith. It, it just wears everyone out, the message translation says. I thought, I like that. I like that. Instead, it gives us the positive side of it. Instead... And any of us that spent seven seconds in Awanas as a student or as a leader has heard this verse. It's the verse for Awanas. 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Be diligent. Be serious. Be zealous. Concentrate on. Focus your energy on being an unashamed worker before God. Be, be eager. Make every effort to. All the same description of the same word. Be diligent. The King James says study. It's, that's not inaccurate. It's just not deep enough. I think study probably meant a, was a little more deeper thing in the, in the time of the English back then. But it, it's, it's to do everything you possibly can is to let your walk do the walking. Not just talking, but walking. And let your talk be straight and true. It's a cool word right there in, in, the, uh, in the Greek. Orthotumanta, a 
compound word of two different words. And, and we've talked about this word before in a different context. Orthos, the compound word orthos is the, is the first part of the word. And it means straight or upright or not crooked. We use that word today and you hear it with what? Someone already said it. Orthodontist, right? Because an orthodontist takes our jacked up teeth and makes them straight, right? Orthodontist. And the second part of the word is tomoteros, which means to cut, cutting, sharp, okay? So when it says uh, accurately handling, that's the word right there, orthotumanta in the, uh, in, the, in the Greek. It's the same word used in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's the word right there, tomoteros, just that one word. Sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We are handling, teaching, sharing a word that is so powerful that it can just lay us bare and split us wide open, the word of God can do. The base meaning of tomoteros that same word sharper right there, the same root word of the, of the orthotomanta, means to cut by a single stroke. It's like, it's like you would take a sword and swipe a sword and split something in half. That's what that word means. There's another word in Greek for like cutting, off, cutting a lot of times or, or, or stabbing a lot of times. But this word means it's quick, it's powerful. Orthotomanta. It's applied to activities like plowing a, a straight furrow or cutting a straight board or sewing a straight seam. It's applied to things like skillful work. It's a skillful worksmanship. It's like when we're building ramps or when we're, or when we're building houses in Mexico. Some of the things we cut were not orthodomanta. We tried, but we, were, but we were trying to cut things well. It, it reminds me of a time we were building a ramp it was uh, within the last year we were in Russellville, and Norman and I were on, we, we cut 40-inch boards to, for, the, for the decking of a ramp, and we come all the way down a ramp with 40-inch 2x6s. And uh, we try to space it out just a little bit so it can breathe and those types of things. And we were probably 10 to 12 boards down the ramp, and we realized that we were a little crooked. Now, it wasn't bad. But by the time we got to the end of the ramp, it was going to be fairly noticeable, but it wasn't terrible. And, and, and he and I are kind of whispering about it, you know, because we don't want other people to hear it, that we, that first of all, that we didn't do it well, and second of all, we were considering not fixing it. <laughs> and uh, like clockwork, like you, I mean, you can count on Doug, like you can count on the sun rising. I don't know if he heard us talking. I doubt it. Or if you could just tell from our body language where we were headed. But he, he kind of saunters over there, you know. What is it, guys? And we showed him. Trying to fix, you know, decide if we're going to spend the time to, you know, to fix it. And he's, you guys do whatever you need to do. You're just working for Jesus. <laughs> turns, turns around and walks off. And I looked at Norman and he looked at me and we were like, I ain't done play the Jesus card on us now. <laughs> so we unscrewed him, started over, and did it right. It's the same concept that Paul is speaking of right here. We want to handle the word of God and our own words with the same care, with skill, with precision. We want to cut straight 
with our words. We, we don't want to trifle with the trivial because trifling inevitably leads to crooked cuts, but not on boards, on human beings, on our hearts. Be diligent to present yourself approved. Do your best to be presented approved before God by laboring with the gospel as accurately and skillfully as possible. Don't be lazy. Don't be sloppy. Don't be slothful with your labor. We wouldn't do it with a, with a, with a handicap, with a, with a wheelchair ramp. We wouldn't be lazy and slothful with a, with a ramp with building a house in Mexico or with any other thing that we do physically. Why would we possibly consider being that way with God's word? I like the way MacArthur says it. Whatever is worth doing in the Christian life is valuable enough to be done with enthusiasm and with care. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. And you know this outside of this context. Sloth and indifference not only prevent good, but they allow evil to prosper. When we don't handle the word of God right, when we don't handle our own words to each other correctly and with care not only does it not do good, but it allows evil to prosper and to reproduce and to spread. It's a dangerous thing to the church. Our words can do one of two things. It can repair and build up and help and bless. Or our words can tear down and destroy and harm and curse. Words are so powerful. So for those of you that are a little bit visual. I don't do this very well. These are, this is a dusty type of thing, but I'm going to pull a card out of Dusty's playbook today. So if I've asked you to come up here and be part of this illustration that you have no idea what's about to happen, please come up and be part of this just so I can kind of help us illustrate the power of words. Hurry up, Kelly. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Choking on a bone here. All right. Here, here's an example. Okay. Come here. Bro, I appreciate you. You're special to me. I really appreciate all the things you do for us. My pleasure. Have a good day. Simple, right? Thank you for taking such good care of me. You're special to me. It means a lot. <laughs> you're ugly and you're stupid. <laughs> I want a divorce. <laughs> I've always got your back, bro. Okay. No matter what. You need something, you let me know. I'll be there. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Oh, so you, so you can marry her. Will you marry me? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Get out of here. All right. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Now, we're being silly, but think about that. Think about these words. I want a divorce. 
got real quiet now. It's just words. <laughs> not those words. Not said like that. It ain't just words. You talk about slice you wide open. You know, I heard Tim Tebow talk about this. Uh, actually, it was on Swamp Kings. I was watching that on Netflix. Crazy, crazy documentary. I, I'm a sports documentary junkie. I would rather watch that than just about anything. And, and he said early in that, and I bet a lot of people missed it, but he, you know, he was, they told his mother that, that if she carried him to full term that it was going to kill her and it was going to kill him. And they recommended her to, to abort the pregnancy for her own safety, for her own life. And she didn't. And so from the day that dude hit the ground, his parents told him he was a miracle. You're a miracle. You are special. God allowed you to be here to do something special. And he said, they told me that every single day. And he said, you know what happens to somebody that hears that every single day? They start to believe it. He said, I believed it. It set me on a, it set me on a path. Because that's what words do, for the positive or for the negative. A, a, a lot of the, of the children that we have the pleasure of having here on a regular basis, especially on Wednesdays, they're not hearing you're special. They're not hearing I love you. They're not hearing, hey, I'm here for you. They're not hearing that. They need to hear it when they're here, as frustrating as it can be sometimes. I was so frustrated last week, I punched a wall. None of y'all saw that. Well, a couple of you did. I walked off and I thought, man, I'm glad that didn't break the sheetrock. I must have hit a stud. Whew. Words are powerful. That's all I'm saying. Words are powerful. Your, your, your pettiness, it's not cute. It may be fun. It may feel good in the moment, but it ain't cute. It's dangerous. And, and then as if Paul hadn't already made the point, he says it again. He says to, to work as hard as you can work, as skillfully as you can work, with the, with the work that God has given you. And use your words, use God's words as accurately, cut them as straight as possible. And then he says again, but avoid worldly, empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And ungodliness inevitably leads to destruction and ruin every single time, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Yeah. That's disgusting. A reminder again to skip this trivial stuff. The petty stuff. Don't be petty because petty ain't pretty. Don't, don't trifle with the trivial because petty ain't pretty. Pettiness, according to this verse, promotes profanity. And I don't just mean the four-letter words. I mean ungodliness. Pettiness promotes ungodliness and destruction and harm, jealousy and backbiting and gossiping and hatefulness. And things that we look at a toddler, toddler and say, don't do that. It's ugly. But we forget to look in the mirror and say, don't do that. It's ugly. It, Paul says that kind of activity, that, that, those words, that kind of a heart, it spreads like gangrene. Do you know what gangrene is? Do you, do you young fellows know what gangrene is? Maybe I can wake you all up for a second. Do you all know what gangrene is? It's a disgusting infection of your skin and it turns your skin and all the stuff that it touches black and dead and gross 
It's disgusting. It's an awful thing. It can kill you. It will kill you if left untreated. Now, we have some medicines that can help treat it nowadays, but you know what they had then? Cut it off, cut it out, or cut it off. That was it. You cut that infection out, or you cut it off, or you're dead. That's what Paul says, empty worldly chatter, you better do to it. That's what you better do to it. You better treat it like gangrene. Cut it out or cut it off. Mm. And, and, and in case anybody's wondering, this doesn't mean that we don't call out what is truly wrong. Your pettiness is not the way to do it. Maybe there is something that actually needs to be addressed, but addressing it with pettiness is not the way to handle it. But we do call out what is wrong, what is dangerous, what is heretical. Because here's what Paul does next. In true Paul fashion, I love Paul. He says, them nasty, infected, gangrene suckers, two of them, is Hymenaeus and Philetus. As you read this letter to them, say that part real loud. So they know that I know that they're dirty, nasty, rotten, infected, gangrene, heart-having, false teaching. See, I keep going, but I might, I might say something I shouldn't say. <laughs> Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Among the false teachers and the liars and the petty word wranglers, the selfish and jealous self-seekers are those two dudes, Paul says. And what they were saying, and what were they saying that Paul was upset with? No big deal. Only that men have gone astray from the truth saying that the resurrection has already taken place. And they upset the faith of some. They're only saying that there's no resurrection for believers in Jesus. No big deal. Just let that slide. Nah, not Paul. You can't let that slide. It's only the most important aspect of our faith. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Paul says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then your faith is vain, in vain. It is useless. It is of no worth. So he calls them out. Calling somebody out ain't being petty, depending on how you do it. Sometimes calling somebody out is just being a faithful follower of Christ. It's hard. They're not going to like you when you do it. So I'm not saying don't speak truth. I'm saying don't do it petty. Don't be petty when you do it. And, and it's not always the right time. I heard someone one time, it was uh, 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 someone who had lost their spouse. And someone in their family, within like the first few weeks, said, well, you know, you won't be married to them in heaven. By my reading of scripture, that's, that's true. We're not given in marriage in heaven. It's not necessary anymore. But I wouldn't say that to somebody that's two weeks away from, two weeks removed from losing their spouse. It's true, but it ain't the right time to say it, and it sure ain't the right way to say it. Why would you say it at that moment and in that time? I don't understand people sometimes. I don't understand myself. I certainly don't understand you. Hmm. Then he goes on, he finishes up. Nevertheless, even with all that, the firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. Thank you, Lord, that you know who are yours. And everyone, think, catch this. I bet you didn't catch this when we read it the first time. Everyone who names the name of the Lord, everyone who speaks God's word, everyone who says, see, he's referring to our words again, is to abstain from wickedness regardless of all that stuff. And those two dudes, 
God's word stands. So let your words and actions stand as right, stand righteous as well. I'm going to say it again. Don't trifle with the trivial. Don't trifle with the trivial. Don't, don't, don't allow an ugly, nasty, jealous, whatever it is inside of us that goes, well, why should you do that? Must be nice. See, we don't think those things are that big of a deal. When I was a teacher, that noise right there, mm, I didn't allow it. I'll just say it that way. It's what you want to do to that noise. Couldn't do that as a te- I didn't do that as a teacher, but I, but I thought about it. Don't trifle with the trivial. It ain't pretty. It is catastrophic to the church, to our individual lives. It is catastrophic. Our words are so important They are so powerful for the good or for the bad. We don't get to choose whether they're powerful or not. We get to choose whether we use them for good or we use them for catastrophe. That's the choice we get. So make sure we choose it well. Because Jesus says the, the words come out of the abundance of the heart. That's why they're so powerful. It's not the words. It's what it shows, where it's coming from. When you're petty... It's just an indication of your sinful, wicked heart. And it's a poor representation of Jesus. And we've called to be ambassadors, representation, representatives of Jesus. And when we're petty, it's not the correct representation. So we need to take it very, very seriously. Don't trifle with the trivial because petty ain't pretty. And I know we all want to look in the mirror and say, I feel pretty today. We'll finish up, and we're going to finish up in a song of worship. Uh, If you have anything you need to deal with, you want to join the church, you want to know how to get saved, you want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, if you just need to pray, the altar's open, please come up and spend time in prayer. Uh, If you need to handle something with the Lord that he's brought out during this message, if if you need to reconcile with a fellow believer, that's the most important thing you could do today if you're already saved. Whatever you need to do during this time, we'll sing this song and uh, allow God to work during this time. And then we will call today. Father, we thank you and we love you for your grace and your mercy, Lord, for who you are and what you've done. I just pray that we would all, Lord, you are the word of God, the living word of God. That's how you, that's how you describe yourself. So I, I, I pray, Lord, that we would seek to have a heart that understands how important what we say is. And that you would give us a strong desire to use our words to make each other as strong as for you as we possibly can to edify you say to build up the church to build up the saints God would you would you make us a people that uses our words so well that Satan's words have no chance against us God we pray it all in Jesus name amen I invite you to stand again